me to John's Gospel, chapter 21, the last chapter in the Gospel of John. Last time we were together, we saw the resurrection and Jesus' beginning of appearances. He had appeared twice, uh, first to Mary Magdalene and then to his disciples uh, as they were assembled. Uh, the first time that he <clears throat> appeared to them, Thomas wasn't there. And then the second time Thomas was there, and so we were able to see all of that dynamic. And so tonight, I uh, just wanted to go over the last chapter, close it out, see if we can make some applications um, with no notes, just uh, it's like being on a trapeze without a net. John's Gospel, chapter 21. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you for this time of year. Whatever's going on, Lord, in our lives, in our hearts, this is a time that we can rejoice and we can celebrate, Lord. We can just get our eyes on the right things, the birth of the Savior and the reason why He came into this world and just what, he, what You've done in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, as Your kids, as Your children. So we just thank You. Bless this time that we have in Your Word and pray that You would speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said. So after these things, the Bible says, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. Who would the sons of Zebedee be? James and John. Good job. So the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you, also, or, yeah, with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, you know, whether Simon Peter is not sure what he's supposed to be doing, or he's going back to what he knows and what he's comfortable with, I mean, you know, we don't know. We don't know if it's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing that he's going back fishing. Um... When Jesus <clears throat> was alive and walking the earth with them, money would come in, you know, their, their needs would be met. And so, you know, maybe it could be, I guess, from a good perspective that he's going to go and he's going to try to make a living. Jesus is going to question him. Um, and we don't know, again, if he's questioning him about the disciples or about the fish or the fishing that he was used to. Um, so... He's going back to what he knows, and Peter is a leader. He's, people are going to follow a leader. And so notice he mentions, hey, I'm, I'm just going to go back to fishing. And everyone else says, well, we ain't got nothing else to do. Let's go with you. So they follow Peter. Verse 4, but when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. In the last part of verse 3 there, remember that little part there, and that night they caught nothing. Nothing probably worse for somebody to go out and go fishing, especially professional fishermen, and catch nothing. Verse 5, Then Jesus came to them, or said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Interesting dynamic, you know. Did Jesus summon the fish to like land on the right side of the boat? And when he said, 
throw your nets on the right side and all of a sudden fish just listen to Jesus's voice and go over there and kind of head toward the net. We don't know, but you can get a lot more done with Jesus behind you than you can by yourself, no matter how professional you are, no matter how much experience you have, no matter how good you think you do something with God's favor and God's direction and obedience to what God is calling you to uh, results, uh, man, they'd be pretty fruitful. And so we're going to see that the catch of fish is 153. It's an interesting dynamic because remember last time they obeyed Jesus when they had fished all night and caught nothing. They tried to bring the nets on board and it said that they were breaking and there was a multitude of fish that they couldn't count. And so here we have an exact number. I don't know who's counting fish. One, two, I, I, I don't know, but we're going to see the number of fish is specific. Verse seven, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. Even though John noticed that it was Jesus, notice what passion does. It will move you to action. Peter put on his outer garment. He jumps in the water and he's going he's gonna to do something about the fact that it's Jesus and that he wants to be with him. So I find that interesting. Just because you see something doesn't mean that, uh, I guess that's, I don't know, unless you do something about it. John notices it. Peter does something about it. But the other disciples came, verse 8, in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And so this is something that Jesus had in mind in store to be able to meet with the disciples. Specifically, he wants to meet with Peter. Remember when Jesus had told Mary Magdalene after he told her, stop clinging to me. It says in one of the Gospels that not only did he say that, but he said, go tell the disciples that I've risen and Peter. And so there's something that Jesus wants to do in restoration with Peter. And I think for us, we hold on to sometimes some of the sins that we commit. and We don't realize that the Lord wants to restore us. And when the Lord restores us, I don't know what it is about us. We like to uh, sometimes beat ourselves up or cooperate and participate with the enemy as he condemns us. And so just what a beautiful thing of, of God restoring Peter here. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land. Pretty strong guy. Full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. Now, numbers mean something in the Bible. What is the number of six? Anybody know? Man. Number of man. Number seven? Perfection, Perfection completion. Forty? Uh, Government, I think. Uh, no, no, 40 is, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, no, 40 is the number of testing, because, oh, is it the 40 days, 40 nights? You think it's judgment? Joe's like, I am a scholar. I don't know. He's looking at me like, I don't know if you know. We'll take his word for it. We'll take his word for it. Number of 12. Probably government. Probably government, right? 70 is something because there's 70 actual disciples that followed after Jesus. And that's, a, that's another government number. 72. Scott, where are you at? 72? Like As opposed to 70? Yeah, like Man, I'm being scolded today, bro. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, why didn't you study? 
That's what happens when you come with no notes. Awesome. So the number 153, many in church history have tried to assign the number of 153 something. I, I think the, I mean, we, we, we won't really know, but I think one of the best things that I liked hearing was just the number of, of the church, how you have the, the net that was filled with fish, a number of multitude, a mixed multitude, if you will, and the nets were breaking, speaking of how the church would bring you know, believers and unbelievers. It would attract a bunch of people, not just believers. And then this net not breaking, it shows kind of, you know, the completion of the church, that the church can be full of who God knows is going to be included in the church, if you will. Um, I do find this interesting. I was reading a bunch of stuff, but I didn't take notes because I'm... One times one times one is one. Five times five times five is 125. 153. 3 times 3 times 3 is 27. You add those up and you get 153. I don't know if any other number does that, but that's pretty awesome. Brian, does any other number do that, or do you know? I'm sorry, I was reading. Oh, mathematician. <laughs> He's on Facebook. No, I was reading on the different numbers. Okay. <laughs> From the 153 going I just thought that was interesting out of all the things that I read. If you take each one and multiply it by itself twice, it comes up to 153. If you take every single number up to 17 and you add each number, it equals 153. It's just a neat little number. I don't know what it means. Again, I read a lot of stuff. Augustine had his theory. Um, so there's all kinds of theories of what 153 meant, but I don't know. I just think it's a neat, cool little number. It's named in the scriptures for us. And again, you know, we can study it and we can speculate. And, you know, you listen to Chuck Missler long enough, you know it's going to mean something, but I just thought that was pretty cool. So what verse was that? Uh, verse, verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Now, Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, we, we can't know for certain why they couldn't identify him. You know, is the glorified body different? I mean, he showed his hands. He showed the scar on his side, right? He, he had these visible scars. He was a human being, fully human, in this resurrection. He's going to ask them to bring me food so that you could see I'm not a phantom. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. I'm a person still. And so um, was it the, the beating was so bad that his face was so swollen that you couldn't tell? You know, we, we really don't know. On the road to Emmaus, remember, there's two guys, two disciples that would kind of come alongside of him, and they're walking on this road on their way to Emmaus. And in that, um, their eyes, it says, God is veiling who Jesus is. And so there's a combination of things that are taking place. It's not just the fact that they couldn't um, figure out who he was until the breaking of bread. And then their eyes were open. And they say, Did, didn't our hearts burn within us when he was opening up the scriptures to us and communicating all of the things that the Christ must suffer. And so it was in the breaking of bread. And so communion has a special time for us in that, you know, breaking of bread and uh, the bread and the, the cup, just remembering Jesus and things that he wants to open our eyes to at times in that. Verse 13, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the, his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, 
do you love me more than these? The more than these, again, can be, uh, do you love me more than the fish? Do you love me more than going back to what you were comfortable with, going back to the old life, going back to um, you thinking that you have to fend for yourself, taking care of yourself, as opposed to trusting me. You trusted me as you walked with me, Simon. You know, you, you, you declared your allegiance and your love for me. And so you went back to that. Do you love me more than that? Or it could be, do you love me more than these, these other disciples? Remember, he told uh, Jesus, when Jesus says, all of you will betray me, he said, Lord, I don't care if all of these betray you. I will never betray you. I will die for you. And Jesus specifically tells him, Simon Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And so it, it could be either or. Do you love me more than these? Jonah, um, he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Interesting play on words in both of these accounts. What Jesus is telling Peter and what Peter is communicating to Jesus. Jesus is saying, Simon, do you agape me? A form of agape, it's agapeo, but do you agape me? Do you unconditionally love me? Peter responds, Lord, I, I'm very fond and affectionate for you. I phileo you. So twice, do you agape me? Twice, he comes back. Then on the feed my lambs and tend my sheep, those are two different words. Feed my lambs, but... Be a shepherd over my sheep. And unfortunately today, with this thing of pastors, we don't have a lot of shepherds. We don't have a lot of people that care about the sheep and the well-being of the sheep and to see them doing well and to hurt with them and, and to feel uh, intently for them. And so, you know, th there, there would be a time prophesied in the, in the Bible that God would raise up shepherds after his own heart. And the nation of Israel didn't have that at that time prophetically. They had selfish leaders that were all in ministry for the wrong reasons. And so even today, it's, it's hard to find those shepherds. And so with the gift of, you know, shepherding, or if you have the gift of shepherding, then look for those individuals that God wants you to pour into. You should be discipling. You should be pouring into people. You should care about people, whether they're new or they're hurting or they're individuals that God just brings in your path. Shepherd them. Use your gifts. It's such a lost thing. It's like the gift of compassion. People are so scared of the gift of compassion because they don't want to feel the hurts of people. Why would you renounce or, or deny a gift that God has blessed you with? Hurt with people who hurt if you have the gift of compassion. Shepherd people that come your way if you have the gift of shepherding. And so the, the great need. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon Peter, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Do you love me? Are you affectionate for me? Are you fond of me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I phileo you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. God will try to bring us up to his level. If we can't or not ready to reach his level, he will come down to our level. And that's exactly what's taking place with Peter. Peter had to be broken 
so that God can begin to build on the foundation that he desired to build. And so though Peter thought, I agape you unconditionally, back when Jesus said, all the disciples are going to deny me, God had to show him, you're not that bad. You're prideful, Peter, and I got to rid some of that pride out of your life, and then I'm going to build on that solid foundation. So that's exactly what took place here. Verse 18, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So Peter, you love me, you're affectionate for me. I want to get you to the place of unconditional love. The key, the remedy, the solution, follow me. And you will come to that place because you'll see that my love for you is unconditional and you will likewise begin to love me unconditionally. Um, Peter would end up being crucified as all of the disciples. John is the only one that they would try to kill, martyr as well. Uh, but he would end up uh, being exiled to the island of Patmos where he would write us the book of Revelation. And so this he spoke of signifying by what death Peter would be crucified. And when he was commissioned by Caesar Nero to be crucified, he said, I cannot be crucified in the same way that my Lord was. Crucify me upside down. And so that's what Jesus is prophetically speaking to Peter here. Verse 20, then Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who had also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And this is a good word for all of us. Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Every single one of us has an individual walk with God. And what God wants to do in somebody's life and how God wants to work in somebody's life should not be much of our business outside of praying for them and their hurts and what they're struggling with and rejoicing with them in the blessings that God brings their way. Amen. Coveting or desiring somebody else's life or uh, the blessings that God gives them is a horrible condition because you don't know what people have gone through to get to where God has brought them. You don't know the pain. You don't know the difficulty. You don't know the struggle. Um, and you don't know the level of obedience, to be honest with you. You don't know how faithful those people have been. And so for us to covet somebody else's walk, when the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that we all have a race to run, that race is individual. That race is single. Stay in your lane and run your race, looking unto Jesus, keeping your eyes focused on the finish line, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so be careful. Peter here is rebuked by Jesus. He's not saying that John is going to stay until he comes, but he is saying, Peter, it's none of your business what I do with John. What I do with John is my business. What I'm telling you is what you need to take heed to. Follow me. And he tells him again. In verse 19, he says, follow me. And again, in verse 22, he says, you follow me. Verse 23, then the saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But 
if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his tes- testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were not, if, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. And so that's why we always say that John's a good book to give to people. These things are written so that we would believe. These things are written so that we can understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So John's a good book.